Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our reading today is from Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. You may locate the text in your pew Bible on page 952. Let us prepare our hearts in prayer. Living God, help us to hear your holy word that we may truly understand that understanding we may believe and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through christ our lord amen luke chapter 14 He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Okay, so now we are going to hear our second scripture reading for the day. It comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 13, verses one through eight. A. If you are following along in your pew Bible, it will be page 1047. Okay, let us hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, If I speak in tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. 
love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this word of the Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Reinhold Niebuhr was a pastor who served a working-class congregation in Detroit in the 1920s. Most of his congregation worked at the Ford plant. They worked for Henry Ford. There, Niebuhr had a front-row seat to the benefits but also the abuses of industrial capitalism. As with every pastor, his pastoral experience shaped his theology, and he would be a, become a thinker who shaped 20th century American Protestantism. He left Detroit to teach ethics at Union Seminary in New York. He taught there for over 30 years. He spoke to the intersection between morality and public life and morality and politics developing a theological vision that was called Christian realism. In 1964, he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. In 1952, he published a book, The Irony of American History, and in that writing he said, nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone, therefore we must be saved by love. Love in Christian theology is not limited to what we feel. As Paul says, love is patient, it is kind, not arrogant, boastful, rude. Those actually aren't feelings that he describes. Patience, for example, it's not something you feel. Patience is something you choose when most likely what you're feeling in the moment is impatient. Love is in Christian theology is not a statement primarily of what we feel for one another, but rather a statement of how we treat one another. And in that regard, love is a power. It is a vulnerable power. It is a fragile strength. But love is the choice that draws us together and in so doing, empowers us to do the good that is ours to do. This is our stewardship season, and in a very practical way, stewardship is the church's choosing to do good together. Stewardship empowers our ability to love one another, to love our community, even love the world in the ways that we're able Living our faith is something that happens together. That's because faith, as, as Niebuhr described, is a life of love, and it is that love that saves us. Now look, everybody loves. 
Christians have no monopoly on love. Everybody loves. But there is a particular love that is revealed in the life of Christ, a, a love to which we do well to pay attention. In this room, for example, we proclaim that everyone is worthy of love. The basis of love of neighbor is nothing special about the neighbor. It's just because the neighbor belongs to God. Everyone is worthy of love. We can say that in here without raising even an eyebrow. But what happens outside? What happens elsewhere? Is there a different ethos in the culture regarding love? Is there a different ethos to determine who is worthy of love? I think so. Jesus said so. Jesus said, when you host a dinner, don't invite important people. Don't invite famous people. Don't invite the glitterati. Invite folks who need to eat. We want to remember in Jesus' day, when you gave a great dinner, it was traditional to invite people who were worthy of your dinner. And what made them worthy of your dinner was their capacity to invite you to their great dinner. It was reciprocal. In part, it was about status. Who you could get at your table boosted your status. You know, you could, you could, go, to, you could go to work to the water cooler and say, well, we had, we had an elder from the synagogue over for dinner last night. Nothing, nothing fancy, just some fish on the grill. Another would say, well, oh, that, that, that's nice. We, we had a priest over for dinner at our house. It was a very enriching time. Is that right, says another. Well, we had the chief priest for dinner at our house. It was time we had dined at his house last summer. It's about status, sort of an unending rush week for Greek life. But more than that, dining in Jesus' day had an ethic of reciprocity to it. To put it plainly, you love those who can benefit you. You befriend those who make your life better. This is not foreign to us. We do this. You, you love those who make your life happier, richer, better, who the, those are the ones deemed worthy of love. I think we, we all do that. Last, last Sunday, we spoke of friendship, and, and, and we said that in friendship, we bear one another's burdens, which means sometimes you're the one to offer help, and sometimes you're the one who receives help. It's an ethic of reciprocity. It's not a bad thing. We love those who make our lives better. An evangelist for this kind of love is Ayn Rand. She was born in St. Petersburg, Russia in 1905. In 1917, as the Russian Revolution was taking place, Rand's family lost their business. They fled to Crimea. In the mid-1920s, they immigrated to the U.S., and like many immigrants, they chose to stay. 
She moved to Hollywood and got a part in Cecil B. DeMille's film, King of Kings. It was not her acting that pushed her into the American conversation, but her writing. In 1943, she published The Fountainhead. It's a novel about her ideal man, Howard Rourke. In 1957, she published a Doorstop, Atlas Shrugged. It's heavier than I was at my birth weight. Both, both novels celebrate Rand's conviction that the individual is most alive when unencumbered by obligation to the community, sort of a libertarian philosophy. Her fiction was the platform for her philosophy, which she called objectivism. She came to understand love as a means to build a meaningful life. We should not, Rand argues, offer love to those who do not deserve it. We love people because we value them. And we value them because they have something to offer us. I give you something. You give me something. It's an ethic of reciprocity. In his book, Elusive Grace, my friend, the Reverend Scott Black Johnston, he says, Ran is right about something. He says, our hearts are always calculating whether our relationships benefit us, whether they are good for us. It's pretty natural to want to maximize happiness, meaning, and for our relationships to be a means to do so. You get this. If you, if you have a friend and you, and you go to lunch and they come and, you know, put the, put the bill on the table, you grab it, say, no, 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 I got this, I got this, right? That's just generous. That's just being friend. If you regularly go to lunch with that same friend, and every single time he's got alligator arms and you're picking up the tab every single time. You might notice, you, you, you might notice that there's a degree of reciprocity to all friendships. As Paul says, we bear one another's burdens. That means sometimes you help and sometimes you get helped. It's what Rand advocated. My friend Scott, he says, it is unnatural for us to see our neighbor as worthy of love regardless of what they can do for us. But then Scott asks, what happens when the urge in us for reciprocity becomes glorified, becomes the end in itself, as Rand suggests? Is there, a reason, is there a reason for you and I to love our neighbor if our neighbor cannot do something for us in return? Jesus said yes. It's actually how he loved. Jesus said sometimes you need to love not because of what it does for you, but for what it does for the one you love and maybe even for love itself. When you host a dinner, he says, don't invite the folks who make you look good or make you feel good even. 
Invite people who need to eat. Because that is not a reciprocal love, but a sacrificial love. He calls us to love not simply because of what love can do for us, and it does. He's not saying that's bad. Reciprocity is not an evil thing. We need that in our relationships. But, 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 but sometimes we need to step beyond that and love just for the sake of love itself. Because that is the love that redeems the world. When our children were small, a favorite part of the day was reading books at bedtime, and a favorite book at bedtime was entitled Love You Forever. Do you know that book? Sorry, did I wake you up? Do you know that book? It reads, a, a mother held her new baby and slowly rocked him back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And while she held him, she sang, I love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. That baby grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was two years old. And he ran around the house and he pulled all the books off the shelves he pulled all the food out of the refrigerator and he took his mother's watch and flushed it down the toilet. And sometimes his mother would say, this kid is driving me crazy. But at nighttime, when that two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room and crawled across the floor. And if he was really asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and said, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. That little boy grew. He grew to be nine years old and never wanted to take a bath. He grew to be a teenager and wore strange clothes. He grew to be a grown-up man left home and bought a house across town. But no matter how old he got, at nighttime, she would open the door and crawl across the floor. And if he was really asleep, she would pick him up and rock him back and forth and back and forth. And while she rocked, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As the story goes, that mother got older, and she called her son, you better come see me, I'm pretty old and sick. So he came to see her, and when he opened the door, she tried to sing, but she couldn't do it because she was too old and too sick. So the son went to his mother, and he picked her up and rocked her back and forth and back and forth. And while he rocked her, he sang... I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mother you'll be. And when the son went home, he went into the room where his very new baby daughter was sleeping. And he lifted her up and rocked her back and forth. And he sang, I'll love you forever. Now, I take the time to share with you some bedtime reading. 
Because the story bears witness to what happens when we love for love's sake. Now look, I know this. Parental love is almost never completely sacrificial. Loving children is one of the most profound senses of joy we know in the human experience. They can drive you crazy at times, particularly in those days when you can't tell whether they're going to grow up to be an attorney or just grow up to need one. And yet, loving children is a profound sense of joy. But the story points to something else. Mom loves because she wants this boy to grow up not just to be big, but to be good, to become a man who loves. And the way we become people who love is to be loved. Jesus says that's what saves the world. And because the world is the way it is, sometimes you can love in a reciprocal way. There are people that enrich your life, but sometimes you love for love's sake. You love in a sacrificial way. You love when there is no benefit in return that you can see except this. Love spreads love. Love has the power to redeem, to change, to inspire, to encourage, to lift up, to carry on. It's not mechanical. It's not a machine. It's just a practice. But it is a practice, a choice, that has the power to save us. And by the grace of God... Love begets love, begets love, begets love, begets love. And in a nutshell, that's the good that it's ours to do. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.